In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved Orthodox Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we heard in today's reading of the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark concerning a one paralytic who was brought to our Saviour. And he was brought in a most unusual way. There was so much press in the house where our Saviour was because people wanted to listen to the sweet and powerful words coming from his mouth. There was so much press, there was no place for the man to be brought for he was being carried on a bed, on a bier. And so the people that were carrying him they had so much love for the men that were carrying that they opened up the, the roof and to put the man down so that he would come close to our Saviour. And our Saviour said those marvelous words, seeing their faith, he told the man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now the question arises here, the first question among several that we have concerning this gospel, this beautiful reading from the gospel that we heard. Why does our Saviour say to a man who had a palsy, who was a paralytic, who needed a bodily healing, that your sins are forgiven. He doesn't tell him that, uh, that you are healed, that your illness is cured. He tells him, thy sins are forgiven thee. For what reason? The reason being because that our Savior wants to tell us, to intimate to us, that all the, the root of all evil, the root of all the in, illnesses, all the sicknesses, all the conflicts of wars, of pain, of sorrow, of death, lies in spiritual maladies. The sin, the fact that we separate ourselves from God, that is the root of all evils of the world. Therefore, the solution to the world's problems is not in, in social things, in political things, in philosophy. All those are parts of the problem. The solution is spiritual because the problem is spiritual. The malady is spiritual. Not that one particular sin is related to one particular sickness. No, not in that sense. The root, the general condition of our sickness, that is our bodily maladies, the sorrows and pains, the root thereof is in spiritual malady. Us being far away from God. That from the time of Adam and Eve made that fateful choice of being preferring to do their own putrid will rather than the will of God, from then on the humanity is suffering because we follow in their footsteps, choosing our own will over the will of God. And because we perpetuated this, we perpetuated this vicious circle of choosing our own will over the commandments of God, we made the sicknesses, the ills, the sorrows and pains even more rooted in our nature. That is why our Savior says, that thy sins sins are forgiven thee. He's telling us that all root of all evil lies in sin, which is to choose over the will of God our own will, or rather what devil suggests to us is our own will. And he says those words, and there were certain people, scribes and Pharisees, sitting there, and they were indignant. How can this man say that thy sins are forgiven thee? Because only God can forgive sins, and it is true. What they didn't know that there was sitting among them was God himself made man. That they tr- truly were indignant that how can he say that uh, sins are forgiven thee because no man can forgive sins. And our Savior answers them in a cryptic way which we should also understand what he means when he says that what is, what are, why are you talking bubbling in your hearts these senseless things? What is it easy, he says, to say to a man, Thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say to a paralytic who has never walked, get up and walk. 
And what does he mean, our Savior, by saying that? He's saying that somebody who is a fraud, somebody who is a fake, for him it is easier to say that thy sins are forgiven thee because the forgiveness of sins requires no visible proof. It is, an, it is a, a healing that happens invisibly in the heart. And for a fraud, it is much more difficult to say, get up and walk, because for that, a proof is needed. And if a person won't get up and walk, everybody's fraud and his fakeness will be exposed. Therefore, no, since you think that I'm a fraud, since you think that I'm a fake, I will do that which is far more difficult in your eyes. And I will say to this man, that get up and rise, and by him doing so, you will understand that my word concerning his forgiveness of his sins is also true, just as my true word is true concerning him being healed and getting up and walk. And he told him, get up and walk. And the man who was a paralytic all his life leaped up and walked in front of all those people. But listen to this, beloved Christians. The words that our Savior spoke of why he told him in the first place, thy sins are forgiven, there's a great mystery hidden in it. And if we don't concentrate ourselves on understanding what our Savior actually say, we'll miss it. What does our Savior say when he saw those people doing that, of putting the men down from the roof? He says, seeing their faith, he tells to the men, thy sins are forgiven thee. Listen to this. Not seeing his faith, seeing their faith. He tells to this man, thy sins are forgiven thee. What does this mean? A great thing. That when we do things out of love for others, out of that love that we show for another person, God heals and forgives that person. Out of seeing our love towards that person. That's how mysteriously God acts. That's how much is buried in these simple words. He didn't say that concerning the man. He said concerning those who showed so much diligence, concerning them who showed so much love, so much labor. Seeing how much love they had for the man, he forgave that man for their sakes, for the sake of the love that they showed. And let us translate this now in our daily lives. That is why the church bids us, invites us, encourages us to pray one for another, to pray unceasingly one for another. That is why the church herself throughout the services prays for all, knowing this mystery, knowing this wisdom, that out of love that we show towards others, they are healed, they receive blessing, they receive the benedictions, and when somebody else out of love for us prays and shows love for our sakes, we receive the blessing. That's how much bonding happens when we pray. And especially the liturgy of St. Basil, after the consecration of the Holy Gifts, St. Basil wrote this long prayer, three pages. That is why the chants during St. Basil's uh, liturgy are so much longer, because the prayers are so much longer, where St. Basil commemorates every imaginable circumstance, every person that we know that we don't know, who has asked to pray for us and we forgot, every single for country, for the churches, for the infirm, for the prisoners, for the departed, a commemoration that goes on and on and on, knowing how much power this has. And especially this is important, beloved Christians, 
for those who themselves don't pray, who are paralyzed either spiritually because they have went away from, they went away from the church, they went far away, and they themselves are not there where they should be. Those prayers are especially important because just this is man, as this man was paralyzed and he himself couldn't do anything and others did for him and God counted that to that man's credit. So also, when somebody out of his own will paralyzes himself and goes far away from the faith, from the church, especially our prayers are needed there. And so much more for people who departed from us, who are, who are there they are like people who are, receive, are expecting alms from the living and asking, pray for us and for the love that you show for us, for those who have departed and who are paralyzed in body because we cannot pray bodily anymore. We are souls that are re- expecting the resurrection. Those alms of prayers that you do for us, they, God will count them for us. They'll, he'll count them for us as a blessing to us. Therefore, even for those who we think are beyond hope. Even those who we think they have gone far away from the church or have died outside the church and so forth, pray, pray and give those arms for those people. And just as our Savior, for the sake of those who showed love to this man, forgave his sins, so also we have hope that that same Savior, who is true his word, who said that he is merciful, compassionate, and doesn't want punishment of anyone, but wants that all should come to the knowledge of the truth, he will also enlighten. That is our hope, and that is our unshakable hope, because our Savior is true to his words. Let us therefore arm ourselves with this knowledge, beloved Christians, of how much bonding happens when we pray, how much our Savior himself is pleased when we show this love towards others, and how much he pours down, showers those people for whom we pray with blessings and healings. Today, beloved Christians, we also celebrate the feast day of St. Gregory Palamas, or every second Sunday of the Holy Land, the Church has appointed the feast, feast day, movable feast day of this saint should be celebrated. And she appointed this as a continuation of the Sunday of Orthodoxy, as a celebration of the Orthodox faith. She appointed that this Sunday should be celebration of St. Gregory Palamas. For just as last Sunday we celebrated and expounded what the Orthodox faith is, and it was the feast of triumph, victory of Orthodoxy, the true faith over all heresies of error, all errors. This Sunday, the church appointed for us to celebrate a person who personifies of what an Orthodox Christian hierarch, preacher, confessor should be like. So just imagine how much love the church has for the saint, for St. Gregory Palamas, that out of all the hierarchs, she chose this one person, to say that this is what an Orthodox Christian should be like. I told, the church tells us, we told you what the Orthodoxy is like last Sunday. Today we're telling you what an Orthodox Christian should be like. And what did this man do? What did this man defend? What did he say or do in his life that the church loves her so much that she appointed her as an exemplar, as a type of what an Orthodox hierarch should be like? St. Gregory Palamas throughout his life defended the teaching of the church concerning deification. That is the cornerstone of our salvation. Deification means the teaching of the church that our salvation consists in a real, living relationship 
with God. That is what our salvation is. Deification of becoming God's by grace, of God coming and dwelling in the hearts and minds of men, of him entirely penetrating and entirely permeating human beings so that the will of man and will of God is one and the same. That is what deification means. That was the purpose for which God created Adam and Eve and all uh, humanity. So that they would come slowly, step by step, to that stage where he and they would be one, he and us, rather. And every single heresy throughout the time of the, of the, the, the church, in the times from the apostles to this day, every single heresy, this is a most astounding thing, that existed, even heresies that contradict each other, they all agree in one thing. In every heresy, the teaching of deification does not exist. So you take Arianism, Nestorianism, Monophysitism, and and, uh, Monothelitism, and all iconoclasm and so forth, one thing they have in common, one common denominator, that according to the logic of this heresy, the teaching of the deification disappears. And from that we know that this every heresy originates with the devil because he hates so much the teaching of God's, of man becoming God, of man achieving deification, that he plans every single false teaching to the purpose, to the end, to abolish, to erase from the memory of humanity that such a thing is possible of man becoming God just as God became man for us. So, what did St. Gregory, what was the heresy in times of St. Gregory that he defended? It was a teaching, he defended the church's teaching concerning the grace of God. What is the nature of the grace of God? For in his time there arose certain heretics, one called Barlaam and his follower later on, Akindinus, who said that the grace which shone from our Savior, the healings that came from his body, the light that shone from our Savior's body on the transfiguration, all those healings and words of of instruction and all that power that came from our Savior, which we call the grace of God, is something created. That is, God creates that grace in order to do those miracles, and that, that grace disappears. Why is this such this teaching so pernicious? Because, beloved Christians, if grace which touches us, which heals us, which forgives us, which shines from our Savior, is not God himself, but rather something created, it means we don't have a real communication with God. We never touch him and he never touches us. There's something in between us, something created. That is why it's important to stand on that, what St. Gregory said, grace of God is his eternal, uncreated power. That light with which he shone on Mount Tabor is the same energy of God with which he created the whole world. That is, God himself. That is why the teachings of St. Gregory are so important, because if we remove that teaching, if we allow... God forbid that to believe that grace of God is a creature, something that God creates in order to deal with us, and then it disappears. It means we never have a real communion with God. We never have a living relationship with God. God never touches truly us. Not only he never comes and dwells with us, but something in between there is, something created, which is like a wall between us and God. 
That is what St. Gregory understood, that this was the pernicious teaching, that it was destroying and entirely dis, uh, dismantling the orthodox understanding of relationship with God, that our relationship with God is living, it's real, it's tangible, it's touchable. Because grace of God with which we are touched, with which we are illumined, with which we are filled, is God himself, his energy, his power, his light. Just as the ray of the sun is, in, is inseparable from the sun, and it's when we are touched by ray of the sun, we have a direct relationship with the sun and not something in between. So in the same way, when the ray of grace touches us, is God himself touching us and not something in between him and us. That is the teaching that St. Gregory defended. Even unto blood, he suffered exiles, he suffered deposition, he suffered all sorts of things, but in the end, the church was triumphant. And the teaching that the grace of God with which we're illumined is truly God according to his energy, according to his power, and not a created thing, that was triumphant and that was established. And that is what we read every Sunday of Orthodoxy, the pronouncements of the Church defending this teaching and also anathematizing the opposite teaching, that grace is something created. And it is, all important, it is important because the Orthodox Church is the only Church that pronounces and defends this teaching. All the Western churches, so-called, they were, were the Catholics, Protestants, they all went along with this erroneous teaching. And you open a, a catechism and all, among the uh, Catholics or any book of instruction among the Protestants, those who dwell on such theological things, they all, without failure and without ex exemption, they all confess that heretical teaching, that the grace of God is something created, something that God creates to deal with us, and then it disappears into non-existence, meaning that there is no real connection with God. There's something in between. And that is why, especially for our day, it is important to understand what this means and how important it is. If our Savior's grace, the grace of the Holy Trinity, is God himself, and the grace that's shown from our Savior's body is the, 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 the uncreated eternal energy and power of God, it means that everything that is holy, everything with which the church tries to reach out to us, also radiates with this glory and with this light. Because the body of Christ is the church. The church is the body of Christ. So whatever shown from our Savior's body, the same shines from the church. First and foremost from the holy and divine mysteries. But not only. Every single aspect of the life of the church, every single icon, every single cross, every time we make the sign of the cross, whenever we chant the hymns, whenever we read the scripture, whenever we do anything pious and whenever we keep the commandments, we partake of that grace. We're not doing all these things simply as an exercise so that we become, we learn how to become better. No. Every action in the church is a mystical action. When we do things in order to right there, 
partake of the grace that shines from that. Therefore, every time we make the sign of the cross, beloved Christians, we're not simply trying to remind ourselves about the cross. No, we are trying to partake of the grace of the cross at that moment. When we venerate the icons, we're not simply remembering the saint in our mind. No, we want to be there with the saint. And because the grace of the saint dwells in the icon, when we come piously to venerate it, we become partaker of that grace. And so much more when we approach holy and divine mysteries. That is how the church tells us to view a pious life. And if we look at our life as Orthodox Christians like that, it's truly going from glory to glory. It's going from sanctification to sanctification, knowing that everything that is offered to us is permeated and radiates with grace. If we had our spiritual eyes opened, and not, not only our bodily eyes, we would see this place to be inundated, flooded with light, with all the holiness that is in here. Our life, every time we give alms to somebody, every time we fast, every time we pray, we would see that the doors open for us to participate in divine grace. That is how much one teaching can have so much importance in the church so that if that one teaching is changed, then everything, our daily lives change. That is why the fathers have taught us to stand fast even for the minutest thing of the faith because whenever that minute thing changes, the results, the effects are unfathomable, are so great that even our very daily lives as Orthodox Christians would change. And we've known that wherever heresy was introduced in a one particular congregation, that even their prayer life, even their mystical life had entirely been deformed and, and unrecognizable. Therefore, beloved Christians, let us pray to St. Gregory Palamas, who is the protector of us in this parish, together with the other two saints, St. Photios and St. Mark of Ephesus, who also in their times defended the teachings of the Church against the innovations coming from the West. And let us understand, with this small exposition that, that I gave, that the grace of God that permeates the, the Church, that shines from the Church, is uncreated, eternal power of God by which we are deified. Of this, may our Savior deem us worthy. Amen. Just start, but just come. Yeah, or whoever will just. Uh, I'll just. Uh, sure, sure.